Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast hosted by Becky Hills and Sophie Scully. We're here to make your 20s that little bit less scary. Touching on everything from career anxiety, struggling to pay your rent and the imposter syndrome that we all feel but no one talks about, this podcast will prove that ultimately we're all in the same boat. Welcome back to episode 10 of Grad Life by the Horns. This week, we had our first double interview, fancy stuff, with the wonderful Alice Boyd and Rosa Garland. Alice and Rosa are both graduates from Oxford University and have dedicated their time in both education and graduate life to the world of theatre, environmentalism and the stage. Mm, Weren't they just wonderful? They were great, so inspiring. And it was so good to talk to creative people who are pursuing creative passions as well. I think as well, obviously environmentalism and climate change is such a raw topic in in today's society, especially amongst our generation as well. And you know what's so refreshing? is to and interesting is to hear it from an arts perspective and how everyone should be held accountable even in the theatre people need to start thinking about the steps they can take Mm. and the fact that Alice has created Staging Change and this group of people in the theatre industry who are making steps to making the theatre more eco-friendly and sustainable it's just brilliant isn't it? Yeah definitely it's one of those things that you consider on a daily basis you think about the plastic straws you think about the carrier bags you don't think about actually what can my industry do to make the world slightly greener you don't go about your daily business thinking well I'm just you just go about your work you're just like oh yeah this is this is me this is my life I won't buy a carrier bag today Mm -hmm. but actually it's like the theatre industry every industry can do so much to change the environment and that's what we need to start thinking about thinking on it like a more personal level Mm. actually quite an adult thing I've done this week I wrote a blog for Kotai who's the company I work for in consulting about how consultants can be greener you're inspired yeah, so it all it all interlinks one way or the other, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, just gotta do it. But we want you guys to listen to this conversation because it's brilliant. But before that, we want to make sure we plug the important stuff. Plug, plug, plug. So the first thing is Alice and Rose's comedy duo, Alan and Ron. <laughs> it's a really hard thing to say <laughs> for me. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Alan and Ron. Their show, Two Super Super Hot Men, is being taken to Vault Festival on the 13th to the 14th. 14th of March and Brighton Fringe from the 1st to the 3rd of May and we're going to put the links in our social media yeah links will be everywhere everywhere also the other theatre group that they're a part of called Poltergeist Theatre are touring with their show Art Heist so we'll put a link for tickets there if you want to find out more about Alice's group Staging Change which is a sustainable theatre network you can look into all their campaigns at www.stagingchange.com and I'm pretty sure they have a few social media links yeah Everyone's on social media these days. Yeah. Have a Google, have a gander. <laughs> well, without further ado, let's shut up, Bex. Let's shut up. My, my poor voice is a bit of a I know, I <laughs> oh, bless you. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. week we welcome Alice Boyd and Rosa Garland thank you so much for coming on thank you for having us we start actually it's a new thing for season two we start every episode by asking our guests what's gone wrong what's going on so if you just want to start by telling us recently what's gone wrong and what's going on with you I would say the most obvious thing that's gone wrong for me is I've, I've 
crash landed into the new year a bit with a pretty intense stomach bug. So oh. very, a very glamorous thing to go wrong. But I think I had all these ideas about I'm going to hit the new year so hard. I'm going to have all these resolutions and everything, which I've never really done before. And then I kind of ended up entering it just like in bed. So I'm oh. just trying to get back from that. <laughs> yeah, that's an yeah. ideal. <laughs> Rosa and I were going to have an admin day, but then we ended up kind of having to do this video application for some funding kind of over Skype. <laughs> they like planning the um, planning the video out. Yeah, um, that was in quarantine. And we were like desperately <laughs> on FaceTime, like, have you done this? Have you done this in question? darkness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we managed to do it, but yeah just just by the deadlines all our plans kind of got thrown out by me being ill so that's that's been this week <laughs> are you in recovery oh i i am in recovery now good <laughs> what about you alice um well so far it's been okay since new year's eve i think one thing that i'm trying to get better at is being on time to things because i'm really bad at leaving the house on time i'm fine once i'm out but I think there's been a couple of times in the last week where I've been like, oh God, I'm a bit, I'm a bit late. <laughs> uh, some, uh, some symptoms of this include Alice coming to rehearsals with her toothbrush in her bag. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> this is organised. I'm sorry to Alice. It's true, it's true. <laughs> and uh, she always puts her shoes on in the lift in her building because that saves so much time. It saves so much time. <laughs> Top tip. Put your shoes in the lift. That's so efficient. I need to take some of these. Honestly, my... It doesn't work. It's time management for me as well as a real issue, isn't it, Beth? Because I'm early for everything too early like too things. early for everything like an hour early for things whereas you're like an hour late for things yeah i'll say that half an hour is like my mark i'll mm-hmm. say like give me a half hour breathing period and that'll yeah. be fine well i just find like no matter how hard i try it's just leaving the house there's always something i forget that it, you know how long it takes to put your shoes on in the lift <laughs> and brush your teeth that takes so long yeah so i just forget and then i look at the clock and i'm like oh god i still have to do this and that and working on that a mixed ball game for the new year but we're getting <laughs> yeah. there eventually good yeah. so um i think it'll be quite good to start with the obvious that you're both into theater and i know alice has been but you have you been for a long time as well rosa yeah definitely i, I went to uni wanting to come out the other side and like an actor so I wouldn't I don't know how I would define myself now as like you know just an, an actor but definitely it's been like the goal to be in theatre for quite a long time yeah. In terms of universities so you both went to Oxford mm-hmm. how did you get involved in theatre at Oxford University? So I studied geography and Rosa studied English so there isn't a drama course there but there's a lot of stuff going on around the outsides. There are lots of groups who just, you can put on a play, you can get a slot in in one of the the kind of theatres in colleges and around town. And yeah, so we got into it. I think first year for us was just like a lot of unsuccessful auditions, at least as it was for yeah, me. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I arrived like, I'm going to get so into all the theatre. Yeah. Because, yeah, I came from school where there was like, 10 people max in my drama mm-hmm. class and there were only like two or three of us who were really serious about it so I sort of got to uni and I was like yeah I'm gonna get so involved and just nothing for a really long time. I remember really bad I did an audition for Rent there was a musical of Rent <laughs> and I I thought I just couldn't sing that day <laughs> I just remember because it's quite a belty musical and I am not my voice does not work like that 
Everyone has those days. Mm, I had Everyone that in first year. I tried to get into like the performing arts society and I had yeah. chest infection. I had to sing Over the Rainbow and it was just, it was no. never going to go well. That's <laughs> never going to happen. I remember kind of like the pitying look of the people auditioning me like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then, so we're both part of a theatre company called Poltergeist, which mm. was kind of formed while we were at uni. So I first did that. I kind of almost gave up on theatre at uni um, because of the whole audition situation. But then I did a show with Poltergeist at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in the summer of my first year. So it was really just kind of potluck to have got the part. And then it became like this amazing group of friends. And then Rosa then did a show. Yeah, then I got cast into one of the shows in second year. And I didn't really like know anyone. But yeah, we were just lucky that we sort of got cast into these shows that ended up becoming a tight group of people and ended up becoming a company that's having a life beyond uni now, which... It's really lovely. Yeah. And I think the thing that was nice about it is we often did quite... Well, some of the shows were written by our director, Jack, and they mm. were always... You know, it's exciting doing new writing and it isn't kind of, you know, all the old plays that are done again and again, which are also fantastic. Mm. Um, but it was nice to actually start creating it ourselves and then eventually kind of work together to write the write the shows and... Yeah, led by Jack. Mm. Um, what was it like, be, like performing at Edinburgh? Because that's such a like big thing, isn't it? Yeah, and we've done it a bunch. I think both of us have yeah. been four times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, times. and it is an incredible month. It's very tiring, and by the end, you're kind of seeing how little sleep you can do the show on. Mm. It's 24 performances over a month, over 25 days, basically. And there's about seven of you living in a three-bedroom apartment. And, wow. Because <laughs> you know. Edinburgh's not cheap, is it? Edinburgh's not no, cheap. No, I mean, with our show, that's what we're... I mean, we always knew it, but we're realising it in a much more um, real way now because we've never been on the producing side of yes. things before. Mm. And now we're like, let's take our own thing. And we're like, oh my yeah. gosh, how does anyone like raise money to, to do this? So, yeah, it's a really big thing. Yeah, Rosa and I previously, with. But Poltergeist, which is the other theatre company we're part of, we've been kind of uh, part of the devising process and performing, and I've done sound design, but we've never been kind of, you know, tapping away at the Excel spreadsheets. And then now we've created our first project together as a duo called Two Super Super Hot Men. I love um, that title. <laughs> and it and yeah, and we're finding, you know, we're doing the admin and you suddenly realize mm. it's a it's a big deal to kind of get the funding together and and you have to keep plugging away at it um but it's very satisfying being yeah. able to be like yeah we've been completely in control of this project yeah basically just massive extra respect to everyone who produced yes. the past fringe shows we've done yeah you yeah. suddenly go oh we understand yeah <laughs> we were so oblivious for yeah. some of them because there's so much more like behind the surface isn't there because like we we know this as well like you 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 would join a theatre group thinking you just need to be on stage or do some lighting every now and again but there's so much more to that isn't it and it Mm -hmm. is on that topic how did you balance being like a committed part of a of a theatre group at university and obviously being at Oxford because Oxford is hard work I can imagine academically and work (laughs) still traumatised <laughs> um, I think the truth is you don't really you <laughs> just, yeah, just kind of like how I, I didn't 
balance it well at all. It was something I was not good at. It's interesting being the humanities, like there were so little contact hours, mm. which was really good because it meant I could get involved in drama a lot, but the work was still the same. So I just, I, it, it was just classic really, just pushed it into the night, like always missing deadlines, not doing essays. I think I just found it hard in general. And then added on top of that, I really wanted to commit my time to theatre stuff. So Honestly, yeah, I didn't balance it well, I have to say. I think, so Rosa was in a lot more theatre productions than I was. I did some kind of climate change and music mm. activities a on the side as well. So <laughs> I definitely, I, for me, the other stuff, the climate change and the music, I could kind of pick and choose when I did it a bit more. But yeah, it was definitely high pressure and getting in weekly essays uh, is, is tough stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think that's made it easier though, now you're a graduate, having that, having known that you can come, like you can cope with all of that stuff. So now you're just focusing on the theatre stuff. Does that make it a lot easier? Uh, um, well, now it's kind of, I mean, it's definitely a lot different and I way prefer being a graduate. Like I wouldn't have that um, uni life back at all. <laughs> but obviously now it's also day jobs and rent and bills and everything is like, it's different pressures, but yeah, I'm so happy not to. It's much nicer, actually, than writing essays in the night and desperately trying to hit those deadlines. It's like, at least the pressures are real-life things and they're about kind of building building an actual life rather than feeling like I was just, yeah, trying to turn in this piece of writing that I knew was going to be bad and was kind of, I felt like, stopping me from doing what I really wanted to do. Yeah, and I think that's not to say, like, there's some amazing things about uni. Like, you learn so much new information that you wouldn't and just being in especially being in a small town as well I mean mm. you're so close to everyone now mm. living in London it's like I remember last year Rosa was the closest friend in terms of kind of proximity to my house but it was still like a 40 minute train yeah. journey or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you suddenly it's a lot it's more difficult it's more effort kind of after graduating to go and see your friends but I think it's such an important thing to kind of learn to be like yes I'm gonna go we're gonna do this we're gonna have dinner we're gonna you know Mm. make sure you see your friends as well yeah it's really interesting you say that because we at the beginning of this season we've done a graduate takeover where different graduates have sent in voice notes and just spoke about their 2019 and 2020 and that was literally the key theme wasn't it yeah like making sure you in the transition of becoming a graduate you make sure you still find time for your friends and you hold yourself accountable for making sure you fill up your day productively and stuff like that so that's really interesting because I think when you're in amongst that graduate kind of muck you're just like oh I really want to be back at uni and doing this but realistically like do you because you've done it it's that's yeah it's being like this is what I know and now we're in the scary bit of like oh god what do I do now but actually it's when you think about it when you really compare it to uni it's actually so much more fun because you can do everything you want to do whereas at uni you're just trying to balance everything all the time one thing I've always tried to think about when everyone says oh the uni years are your best years of your life it's like I don't want them to be the best years of my life I want it to keep getting better and better yeah Yeah. there will definitely be years that are harder and there'll be you know, right now there's a lot of uncertainty with being kind of in your early 20s. Mm. Especially like for me, I've been trying to be freelance for the last kind of four or five months. And there are a number of challenges, but there are so many kind of privileges that come with that, like being able to make my own schedule and which can be, you know, you have to say stay disciplined, but it's amazing being able to go and have coffees with people. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned since leaving uni is how 
important it is, if especially if you are a freelancer, to go out and meet people and just talk to people. And it can be scary at first, but having phone calls and having coffees, it's surprising how kind of it can then quite quickly become a comfortable thing for you to do. And also how you just build up a network of support mm. for you out there of people who are, they can be even just a couple of years ahead of you or even just someone who's the same age as you doing the same thing. Just kind of having those conversations is really helpful. Mm. And you mentioned that you were only been freelance for like four to five months. What made you like take the plunge and just kind of be like, I'm going to do it? Um, I think for me, so I was working a nine to five job, which was amazing at an environmental charity. But then for me, your early 20s is the time to do something a bit crazy and to try and be freelance and to, if you want to be, and it's the time to go and do a show or it's the time to go and make yeah. music. <laughs> but it was a big decision and then we had loads of like big conversations about it. Yeah, I it was, was kind of... Mm. Yeah, I was quite uncertain for about six months of my, my my life, just kind of complaining to all my friends, being like, what do I do? <laughs> you definitely need that period, don't you, though, of just kind of, when you just go to everyone, just hope they have the answer for you, then it's yeah. it's just about taking the plunge, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think what's quite interesting to talk about, actually, is obviously in the creative industry, so like in theatre and stuff, a lot of people, especially graduates, would think that it's, almost too competitive to get into it so a lot of people just are too scared to do it in the first place so um now you've like experienced like the graduate market in terms of theatre and stuff would you say it's saturated or would you say there's possibilities for loads of people to do what you're doing it's, it's difficult I mean I, I think part of what what my journey has been was like going to you being like I want to be an actress and like it's definitely like the industry is definitely flooded but I don't I don't think that means anyone should should not do it and you know because like everyone's got their own unique thing their own unique talents and you've got to believe that you can bring something new but I think what's really helped me is I've my path has ended up going away from the conventional kind of acting side and more into this world of just making your own stuff rather than waiting to get cast into other people's projects, I think taking the reins and us being like, we have this crazy idea, let's kind of make it happen on our own, has been what's helped. And I think a lot of people are finding finding that really fruitful and finding it really good. Like, we know quite quite a few other graduates who are just, people are just doing their own projects, I mean, which is great. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, you know, there's always limitations to that, depending on how much funding is available and how many residencies there are. You're always kind of competing against other people for that. Yeah. But maybe it's not helpful to think of it as competing against other yeah, people. Yeah. Because healthy, it's healthy yeah. competition. But also like I think the things that have got that have helped us so far, certainly it's always collaboration and like trying to lift each other up, helping people on their projects and yeah, always being in like we only managed to do our funding application because another theatre company gave us their successful one and we were able to like look at what they'd done, you know, we wouldn't have done anything we've managed to so far without like the help of other people who have already done it, so. I think, yeah, that's one thing I've really noticed about kind of the fringe theatre making scene and, and people kind of creating their own work is that everyone's really keen to help you out and it's such, you know, you see the same people coming to events and plays and at the fringe and taking their show to different festivals and you make friends and it kind of becomes a circuit of people who support each other because everyone's in the same boat and everyone wants to get funding and everyone wants to be able to make their work and I think 
yeah I'm slowly realizing actually yeah sometimes the meaning of kind of success is being able to do the work you want to do and Mm. it doesn't necessarily mean I think especially in an industry that often it seems like fame is the goal and like to be the face of the next big movie but actually especially in the theatre making scene it's like you can you can kind of make a career out of making really weird and wacky shows (laughs) if you kind of build up that following and that support network yeah. And I think collaboration is such an important thing that everyone kind of glosses over is that you leave uni and you're just like, right, I'm out on my own now. I've just got to get this done. Yeah, yeah. But then actually, the more you work with people, the more connections you get, the more you can do together. Because it's like with Sophie and I in this podcast, like I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. And then I would be like, oh, wait, but I would do so much better if I did it with someone else. Because then the more you collaborate with people, the more ideas you have. And it's just like a more like fruitful thing. So I think that's a really important thing and like ignoring that competition. Definitely. Yeah. So Poltergeist, to the people that don't really understand how the industry works, and you talk about funding and creating like a, um, a theatre group and all that kind of stuff, what does a week look like to you guys this we, time? I think our weeks look quite different. Yeah, <laughs> but it can it can be completely different. Like I think what I really like about about it is that yeah, it can look completely different week to week. I mean, I have a day job as a personal assistant to a, a psychotherapist and writer, and she's brilliant and incredibly flexible. So one week I might just be doing that for five days and then I've got a weekend coming up where on one of the days we're running auditions for Poltergeist and then on the Sunday I'm do I'm teching and doing a like a sort of experimental performance night and it's and then I don't know we're going to be on tour for most of May so we'll be like dotting around and stuff and I, I really like the the variety yeah yeah it's interesting because in November we got funding for two super super hot men which meant we could kind of dedicate a month to rehearsing that and then, you know, then it's been a month and a half of not rehearsing that and just doing random evenings of admin and doing yeah. the next funding application. So it really changes, like, the, the, the kind of landscape of your weeks really vary and weekend, weekends can kind of disappear. But I think what you get out of that is the ability to kind of switch projects and and keep things kind of fresh and... Mm, means you don't get bored. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, de- definitely. It keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I'd <laughs> yeah. say, like, mostly our recent weeks have been formed of, like, day job and then big admin days together. I think the project is just, yeah, by its nature, it's probably, like, 70 80% us doing admin, and then there's that, like, golden extra bit that's when we're in the room doing it or mm. rehearsing it or performing it, and... Those are really special times, I think, because we've always, there's like hours and hours of work that's gone into just getting us, securing us that space to be in, securing the mentoring or help or funding or whatever. So those are really good weeks when it's just like us, like we had a, a seven day week in a, in a space um, in a theatre called Art Depot at the start of November. And that was just great. We'd just get up and do a, a nine to five or a, or a 10 to six <laughs> um, that was going into a rehearsal space doing theatre and going home for the evening and it was it was lovely. I think sometimes it can feel quite strange especially having done a number of applications and funding applications and rehearsal space applications before you've even stepped into the rehearsal room because you kind of create this pitch that you like you you go yeah this is what our show is right and then going into rehearsal rehearsals on that first day and going oh my gosh we're actually here and and now we have to turn this kind of this bunch of words into a 55 minute show (laughs) here we go I guess (laughs) yeah 
what what would you say has been like the biggest challenge behind it then behind creating what you've created i think one of the biggest challenges is just the uncertainty and you don't you don't know if you're going to get that funding and the difference that that money makes to your project is huge it's the difference between being able to pay yourself or not and especially you know having to have day jobs on the side or trying to do other work you have to weigh up is it worth kind of doing this project if I'm not going to be able to pay myself yeah and we are now locked into performance dates which is like amazing um, Mm. and super exciting but it means the show like this next period of development of the show like obviously has to happen now and there is a slight question mark over whether it will be paid so there's just I think that that's a big challenge as soon as we get that decision we'll have to turn around another application but it won't be able to cover the whole period so it'll be like do I need to take on lots of extra hours to make sure I can cover that period of time or like how can balancing it with other commitments and making sure you can pay the bills as well. Yeah and how does that like uncertainty does it take a toll on your mental health is it something that you find that you're actively dealing with all the time or do you kind of just be like this is just what I've got to do at the moment and it'll be fine? I think I found it's because I've only been doing it for five months I haven't had a problem with the uncertainty so much. I think for me, it's, you know, those peaks and troughs of being busy and then not busy. I'm not very good at being not busy. So I found, yeah, I found (laughs) September after the Fringe, um, after we came back from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I kind of, I was in between home. So I was staying at home and yeah, it all of a sudden hit me, oh, I'm freelance now. I'm the one in charge of this. And right now I don't have any work. So it can, in those moments, feel quite scary. But then you look to, you know, that you have these sort of, you have these months where there's a lot of activity. So January for me is very admin heavy. But then in February, I'm sound designing two shows and I have rehearsals for our show. So all of a sudden you don't have a moment's rest. So you kind of have to take advantage of these these slower weeks or months while you have them Mm. and your show comes out in is it march yeah the first performances will be in march at vault festival yes Yes. am i allowed to am i allowed to yes Yes. Yes. (laughs) it sounds absolutely hilarious yeah do you want to talk to us a bit about it like what's it gonna be about so two super super hot men is about these two very handsome men (laughs) (laughs) i wonder who plays them (laughs) (laughs) Can I get their numbers? Um, so these two guys called Alan and Ron, who are middle-aged men, middle-aged Foley artists, which is in post-production of films when people kind of create the sounds. Oh, so I've seen YouTube videos of this. Yeah. yeah. So like a it's classic really example is kind of in Monty Python, like the coconut, coconuts making horses. But you kind of don't realise in so many films and documentaries and stuff, like the sounds you're hearing is someone in a studio pouring a bucket of water into a tray or something and... We really like that idea. So the idea is that these these two guys are kind of quite reclusive and they work together in their studio doing all these sounds and their project, they're soundtracking a climate documentary, like a nature mm-hmm. documentary. So they're sort of interacting with climate change at one remove and kind of doing a lot of silly stuff with this foley. They're not great at it, but <laughs> I mean, one of them's certainly not great at it. Mostly because we're not good at it. So yeah. we were like, well, we can't, the characters can't be good at it. we lean into it. Yeah, we can't completely learn the skill. Just yeah, for... exactly. But as they do this and they, they have all these habits and quite wasteful habits and they're very, despite doing this documentary, they're very closed off from the issue of, of climate breakdown. So nature starts to kind of intrude into their space and... Yeah, the yeah. question of the show is sort of 
how long can they maintain their habits while everything changes around them, which is sort of a big question I think everyone is facing. Yeah, that kind of business as usual and and how it's very easy to be able to ignore what's going on and continue your comfortable life, Mm. but things are going to have to change whether whether we like it or not. So either we can embrace the change and do do something good, or we can just let everything kind of spiral around us yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of the the climate actors and stuff is that something you want to try and weave into everything you do is that like your big passion yeah, yeah. so um i run a network called staging change mm-hmm. and i lead that with uh, someone called josie dale jones who's also a theater maker and she's done this amazing show called dressed which i think is done now but anyway and so yeah staging change is an is an artist-led organization which supports artists and venues and people in the theatre and performance industry who are interested in talking about climate change and environmental issues in the industry because every industry needs to be thinking about it and I think one of the biggest focuses for us over the next few years is how theatre can be carbon neutral and how we can kind of transition to that which is difficult when kind of our whole world is or, you know, the Western world is kind of entrenched in this, I don't know, use of fossil fuels and everything like that. And especially in the theatre industry, a big thing is touring, which, you know, yeah. everyone would obviously love to put a show on in New York or be able to tour the world and yeah, kind yeah. of take their shows. And, and markers of success being, like, your show getting bigger as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to change the narrative as around, around it, I suppose. It's like, oh, your show is successful if you can add loads more lights to it and it, yeah, add like five more cast members yeah. and it make it more know. vibrant and flamboyant mm, yeah, and yeah, extravagant yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah more doesn't necessarily mean more mm. and it's about changing that kind of mindset Mm, and that's so interesting because like before we started doing the research for this I'd never considered like the climate impact of theatre like when you think about climate change it's like oh get rid of the plastic straws or this sort of thing that's what's in the mainstream but you don't actually think about each individual industry has got something to do about it yeah and I, I think we can't think of of climate change as an issue that is separate to us or is only purely big business it obviously like we need a lot of change from the government and from big businesses who have huge kind of stakes in fossil fuels and and contribute a lot to climate change but we need the economy to transition as a whole to kind of a carbon neutral future yes yeah, so we we need to look in kind of every industry how this can change so Naomi Klein, who is a, she writes about climate change and she says, you know, the arts is, a, is actually a green job and teaching is a green job and nursing is a green job and, you know, not just working in the environmental sector is, is green. And, and you have these kind of, these jobs that are essential to humans and to care and, um, yeah, and it's just about kind of making them as green as possible because, you know, if you're making a show what you're doing is you're taking people into an experience rather than them consuming more necessarily. Uh, so yeah, I think it's about looking at theatre and how how it can become better because at the end of it, art is one of those things, one of the things about being human which is amazing to experience. So it's not about completely scrapping theatre and being like, well, it uses energy, so therefore yeah. we shouldn't do it because otherwise what are we kind of saving the world for if art isn't going to exist? Mm. And I think what's really admirable as well is it's obvious that you committed a lot 
of your volunteering and of internships um, to environmentalism and you know part of committees and stuff. And you also did the campaign at Fringe, didn't you? The environmental campaign at Fringe. Yeah. So yeah. that's what Staging Change developed from. Yeah. Was the, it was a sustainable Fringe campaign in 2018, which at the time when we first did it was a kind of online campaign trying to encourage fellow performers to reduce their waste so it was only kind of focused on paper plastic material waste which is the most visible issue but isn't necessarily the biggest in terms of carbon emissions so that would be like travel and energy yeah and that developed into this network because there was this kind of it felt there was this apparent need for people to be able to discuss it together Mm -hmm. in a non-judgmental way as well it's not about like you know you're not doing this you're not doing this it's about how can we actually talk about kind of transitioning together and we're not going to get it right the first time but it's about kind of working together and collaborating yeah it's so cool and you you utilized the community you made from that campaign didn't you as well and I think what's great about your comedy duo is the the content of the actual play itself is obviously about climate change and what kind of comedy do you use do you use physical comedy satire like I mean it's it's yeah it's a mixture of everything it's kind of yeah (laughs) I mean the main thing I think we've been drawing a lot on clowning and we've done quite a few clowning workshops together and we really love the thing of being completely stupid and vulnerable in front of an audience so the characters are like ridiculous and very silly and we we just love that and we love the warmth of it some bits of it get pretty slapstick I wouldn't call it intellectual satire (laughs) at all Um, but we really like that we just want it to be very warm comedy I think that draws people into these characters who are ultimately quite lovable but very very flawed we just we just love being really silly basically (laughs) yeah I think that humour and kind of positive communication is one of the best ways you can talk about these issues because I think it's very easy I think what we have seen is that just uh, you know the facts don't work on their own if they did we would have done something about this 40 years ago but you need to make these stories kind of relevant to people's lives and you need to make it you know climate change is this thing that can feel very far removed because because the time scale of the effects of climate change are so much longer than you know, you don't you don't kind of turn a light on and then you see a dolphin dead on your doorstep or anything like that. It's not that it's not that clear. It's hard to kind of get. There was something in a book that you read about kind of the key turning in the ignition. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a book called Dark Ecology, but you know, it's just talking kind of philosophically about how can we like comprehend our the tiny daily actions we do as having some kind of effect on this yeah. like global a uh, global issue. So I guess we were really looking at scale in the show and like these silly little wasteful things these characters do and trying to make some kind of theatrical link between their actions and a wider problem. Mm-hmm. And that's such an interesting way of doing it because I think a lot of people switch off when they hear climate change because they think it's all a lot of like ecological philosophy and there's a lot of like political stuff around it and they're just like, I don't want to get into it. I could just do my recycling and it'll be fine. But actually by taking a medium that brings people in and it's entertaining, people are more likely to listen to it and it'll kind of go in subconsciously, almost by like osmosis, they'll listen to it and they'll be like, oh, well, I probably should do that at some point. So it's a much better way of doing it. It's the same with like mental health activism and stuff. If you do, if you've got two comedians talking about mental health, people are much more likely to take notice of it than if you put a psychologist on TV and say, listen to this. And I think, yeah, the thing about our show, it's not overtly about climate change. We wanted it to be 
on the surface just a very silly and funny show about these two guys and their friendship and how that changes but I think kind of by having this underlying um, message about climate change you can kind of yeah, it makes more nuance. Get into their heads. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, we made a decision to never say climate change or climate breakdown or anything, to never use that language in the show. So I think, yeah, it would be definitely be possible to come and see the show as a as a ridiculous comedy about two guys that gets a bit existential, you know. But when you come to see it or read it in the light of climate change, I think there's hopefully a lot people can take from it. And the thing we're keen to do as well, the two characters, Alan and Ron, we are trying to turn them into these kind of again non-judgmental and very hopefully relatable environmental ambassadors who've kind of had this awakening and um and suddenly want to do a lot about it so we have an instagram account called alan and ron which is run from kind of their perspective which is just them basically being total idiots <laughs> and trying to spread the message yeah we love about... what we watching earlier oh, the one with the, the metro at clapham junction yeah so <laughs> so funny we, we have these amazing designers um they're called adapt uh, and they are made of two people called uh, Josie Tucker and Richard Ashton and they basically are two graphic designers and artists who wanted to through humour kind of talk about climate change and raise awareness of it and so they have a very cool Instagram too. They had this takeover of the Metro newspaper which they did with Green New Deal UK, where they made these fake covers of the Metro just before the election being like, these are the issues, and with complete kind of joke yeah, articles. Yeah, it was kind of like positive climate news, which was yes. nice. It was like Beyonce and Jay-Z announced their green transformation, and they live <laughs> like completely, uh, completely But that's what's going to captivate this age group isn't it that is the way you're going to engage your audience exactly it's like through yeah. memes and things like that <laughs> literally so they had they had the sport pages on the back as well and it was kind of news about famous footballers i can't tell you anything about that <laughs> but and like you know a cricket pitch has opened up in a coal mine and so they're they're very cool and it's it's really fun working with them and actually being able to do these kind of environmental campaigns that hopefully for people are just kind of silly videos they see on their feed and they might watch it and then they might Kind of thing oh yeah we'll switch to a renewable yeah, energy supplier yeah. but they just we just don't want anything to be preachy or like watch this serious video we must act now yeah people get drawn in by us in moustaches and hawaiian shirts <laughs> like annoying commuters <laughs> yeah because otherwise it's just like like as soon as i mention anything climate change my granddad and my dad they're just like oh that greta and all this sort of stuff and it's like no, like actually listen and take it in and listen to something different. But people don't want to do that unless it's like on their level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, environmentalism is a big part of what you do. So I can speak from experience here because I work in consulting. So consulting requires a lot of travel. It requires a lot of flip charts. It like <laughs> just everything you think about it, you're like, oh, that's not, you know, in- that environmentally friendly. So on a whole, is there any advice that you can give to someone who's just going into a job and they want to be more environmentally friendly and encourage their workplace to be more environmentally friendly? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I definitely think, I think I've talked to quite a few people who've joined companies and have been quite nervous about bringing it up. They care about it, but they, you know, they join these new workplaces. They don't really want to rock the boat. Mm. And especially if people have to fly for work or things like that, I think you know, climate change and environmental issues have uh, kind of risen up the agenda so much in the last two years that I feel a lot of companies are now open to the discussion about it. I'd say one of the first things you can do is just 
talk to your colleagues, see if there's some kind of interest about it. And I think, you know, having an office kind of green champion is amazing and, and something that businesses should want to do as, as you know, this thing that is rising up the agenda that is so important to all of our lives. And I think in terms of practical things that people can do in the workplace, I think definitely think about travel. Is there, can you use public transport as much as possible to travel around for work? If you can't, if you have to fly, can you offset your flights and get kind of pots of money in the business to be able to do that? Can the building switch to a renewable energy supplier? That's a huge thing. That's a big thing that people can do. The other things are just, we need kind of wider change and wider systemic change and governmental change. So the biggest thing is, you know, people voting for politicians who support um, climate action and who are working on this and people sending emails to their MP and um, things like that, that can feel small. But if you're part of this wider movement, you know, if you can strike from work when there are the climate strikes, doing things like that and just kind of raising the awareness of it amongst your own workplace. Even if you can't strike, you can put it in your you know say your email signature being like i support this i have to work to get today but you know i i do support this movement and seeing if you can organize like a company strike adapt has a lot of good resources on this and kind of how you can convince people in your workplace to strike with you and and how you can convince people that it is an important issue that is relevant to all of us i understand it's difficult and I hope, I think things are changing finally and they need to and this next 10 years especially is kind of called the climate decade because these next 10 years are so important if, you know, this is the critical time for change and we need in the next 10 years to make huge kind of advances if we're gonna, if we're gonna kind of avoid the worst of climate change. Mm. That's so helpful to hear, and I, I'm sure a lot of people can take that with them as well. Yeah, and we'll put loads of information in the show notes yeah. as well. Yeah, because that's really helpful. Just on that topic as well, what's the response been like in terms of your focus on environmentalism and what you do? Really good, I think. I think like Alice starting say, uh, staging change, it's been it's got loads of sign ups so quickly and things like that. I think there's a real like lots of people have it on their mind, but don't quite know where to start because they feel alone or like. And I think the response, the response to us doing, uh, looking at it in a, in a kind of comedic way has been really good as well, because I certainly felt this that like, I really, I am very engaged with the issue, but like, there's a big emotional toll that comes with consuming all the content around it and with keeping yourself informed and engaged. So I think the response, yeah, it's been really good so far and really nice because people are searching for community and people are searching for like, optimistic and positive constructive ways to talk about it not that talking seriously about it isn't you know that's so important as well but um i think it's nice to offer something on on the side as well that allows people to release that anxiety a bit so to kind of begin to wrap up the conversation, we want to touch on something that we always like talking about, which is what's the most exciting opportunity you've both had since leaving uni? I think Poltergeist has been an incredible opportunity yeah. with um, the show Art Heist. So the summer after we graduated, we went up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with the show called Lights Over Tesco Car Park, which was about alien abductions and it's truth. It's kind of about and, loneliness and yeah. connection and 
what's out there? What's out there? And I think we won't. Dad life in a nutshell. Not aliens. Bills. So that's fun. That's what we learned that summer. No. Um, I think because we went with the mind frame that we were students and it was a student production, but we were kind of overwhelmed with the the response it got and it really set us up for being able to go out and be a professional company and and go on to the next project which is Art Heist which yeah. you know we've taken to some amazing places like yeah. Latitude Festival and um, yeah, yeah and I'm going on tour with next year so I think that yeah. I know for me was a huge defining moment. No, certainly and I think the support um, Poltergeist have had has been amazing and New Diorama and Underbelly um, really supported us by giving us the uh, Untapped Award last year, which was definitely a big transformative opportunity. Yeah. Congratulations on that because mm. that sounds awesome. Yeah, it basically uh, it gives you kind of support, monetary support, as well as kind of advice uh, to take a show up to the fringe and you get a really nice venue in Underbelly, which is a venue up, up in the fringe. Yeah, and, and just kind of having that support really helps especially as you know a freelancer or someone who an artist I guess you can often feel quite alone so to have to have that support and people kind of further on in the career in their career venues kind of directly extending a hand to young emerging companies who just are trying to figure it all out and you know saying we believe in you is like really really nice and I think that's what allowed us to like make art heist the step we wanted to make into professional world and really gave us a lot of confidence and yeah yeah kick-started the fact that it's everything more and like kind of probably yeah definitely contributed to our confidence and saying like hey we should you know we want to we're really passionate about yeah. climate change and comedy we, we want to do something about this and for me that's definitely like a, such an exciting opportunity mm. that mm. we were lucky enough <laughs> yeah because it's so easy to get caught up in that like initial after uni being like everything's going wrong and nothing's like kicking off yet clinging on to those positives and being like no that's actually really great it's yeah. so like it's so much a better way to be because otherwise you just get so demoralized by it so quickly definitely and I think the thing a thing that can help me sometimes when I'm going oh I haven't got a project at the moment or or you know the next rehearsal dates are up two months in the future is thinking about you know what you've done and how far you've come and think about yourself when you were 18 or even 20 or whatever age and go could I imagine myself in this position like would I have thought that you know by this age we'd be making our own show and kind of making our own fun getting our own funding and being able to pay ourselves and just that in itself is kind of a cool thing to have achieved so even if sometimes you go oh we haven't got that funding yet it it feels overwhelming if you actually look at kind of look at it in reflecting on it in terms of where you were previously and just the amount of effort you've put into something I think can be really rewarding Mm. well from an outsider's perspective I think you guys have it together <laughs> and you you honestly are on the road to rowing success oh, so God. good luck <laughs> thank, you. thank you very much we'll take it yeah, we'll take that energy into 2020 quote <laughs> like that same scully 2k20 <laughs> at the end of every episode we ask a general question which is ladies how are you going to grad life by the horns i think the, the i mean the big thing this year is that just like we managed we managed to get this project this new crazy project to a point at the end of last year where it has started and it is going to be a thing so i think this year it's just going to be throwing 
loads of energy into it and like trying to give it the best uh, the best opportunities it can have. And definitely making more time for the admin side of things, but side of things where we're really pushing it and really putting lots of energy into it. Yeah, because we believe in it. Definitely, and I think because I know after having a full time job and then and then kind of having a bit of a break and then going into freelance life. I know for me, 2020 is definitely a time to really go for it and send those emails that you think might not get a response and try and meet people who, I don't know, are in new parts of the industry. And so for example, for me, I want to try and do sound design for films and I don't have many contacts in that area. So I'm gonna try and get coffees and, and, and try and build that up and see if it is possible even though it's something I'd feel less confident about I haven't had much experience with it I think don't let that hold you back don't let feeling like you're not qualified enough for something to hold you back and I think that's a message that I'm definitely going to try and take on and yeah. and just just go for it yeah mm, I love that that's such a positive yeah. note to end on love it thank you so <laughs> thank much you. thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much Alice and Rosa that was brilliant it was so enlightening and just insightful yeah and I love talking to actors and comedians as well. I just think they're so, such interesting people because they just have such a I don't know optimistic take on everything because they just pursue their creative passion all the time yeah and they just have a real flair we had a real laugh and it was just so much fun so thank you so much girls also a lot of people talk about kind of the stigma attached to Oxbridge, which I thought was really interesting. So thank you for breaking that apart and teaching us so much about what happens behind those beautiful doors. Mm, definitely, <laughs> like you see, you see the kind of end product of people from Oxbridge. You see the prime ministers. You see the heart surgeons. I don't know. I'm just kind of <laughs> living here. Heart surgeons. I don't know. It's actually interesting to be like actually behind the closed doors. It's not very easy, mm. there's a lot of pressure, it's very intense and you're putting a lot of very intelligent people in the same place so of course it's going to be at times a little bit toxic, at times quite difficult. So I think it's really important to open up about that sort of stuff and address it and not just sweep it under the carpet. Definitely and make sure anyone who's listening who's into theatre or not yet into theatre and they want to get into theatre, make sure you guys keep up to date with their theatre group Poltergeist. Alan and Ron, honestly, you will have such a laugh honestly, on Honestly, watch the video where they're at Clapham Junction Tube oh. Station with the Metro. <laughs> I was, I must have watched it about 15 times. I think it's hilarious. It's so funny. They just have, they just have no qualms, those girls. It's yeah. brilliant. It's so, it. so good. But yeah, we really hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you have a look in the description on all the socials for links to everything. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye.